0: Welcome to the Build the Future podcast. My name is Cameron Wiese, and I'm your host. I've always been fascinated by the ideas and sentiment that drove American culture in the 1960s with the space race. A culture galvanized to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow, whether it's food, transportation, cities, biology, or anything else. It was this cultural mindset rooted in optimism that the world tomorrow would be better than the world today. A mindset where people were compelled to build things, and I quote JFK, not because they were easy, but because they were hard. It's this desire to build and to dream that seems to have been lost and something we're here to bring back. With Build the Future, we're here to promote the ideas and stories of those who see how the future can be better and promote their plans to get us there. It's our mission to get you to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow, dream about the future that you want to live in, and inspire you to go build. Today, we're talking with Dr. Celeste holt the VP of Product Innovation at Impossible Foods, where she's responsible for leading the team that invents, designs, and creates Impossible's products. At Impossible Foods, they're recreating foods at the molecular level to give people the taste and nutritional benefits of meat without the negative health and environmental impacts of traditional meat products. In doing so, they're helping build the future of food. So let's jump right in. I'm very, very excited. Thank you for for coming on. I'd love to have you tell me about the future you're building at Impossible Foods. What's the vision?
1: The vision of Impossible Foods is that we can make meat better, meat without compromise. So delicious, sustainable, healthy for the individual consumers, and amazing for the planet. Sustainable in the fact that It doesn't destroy the planet while making the choice to eat delicious food. So our goal is really to eliminate animal agriculture by 2035. Really with the movement of asking the consumers to continue to eat delicious food, and we're providing that solution that's plant-based.
0: With Impossible, you're you're kind of aiming to eliminate, is it all all animal-based foods by 2035?
1: All animal-based foods. Our planet needs it animal agriculture is the number one destructor of our planet the carbon emissions the water the land use over 50 percent of all land use is used for animal agriculture or the food to feed them in comparison about one to two percent is covered by cities so we all of that land used to be Native land with lots of diverse animals that flourished. And now we're replacing them with one or two species. And to me, that's super sad. Like those creatures have a place on this earth. We need to allow them to do that. And it really creates an ecosystem that's balanced to have all of these diverse creatures as well as different habitats. So that's really central to what we're doing at Impossible is can we go straight to the natural source of plants and create the foods people love to eat. And it's not surprising. It's, it's totally doable uh, because all of those same elements are in the plants.
0: Yeah, because essentially we're, what we're doing is kind of cutting out a step, right? Because we have the animals that are consuming the plants and the, that gets turned into, you know, animal or like meat on the cows, the pigs or the chickens. And then it gets reprocessed back into things that people consume. So essentially, it's kind of the trick is to figure out like, okay, how do we just skip that step and get the, the protein and nutrients we need directly from the, the plants themselves?
1: Exactly. That's, that step is in house sense more than like 90, 95% inefficient. And so, yes, can we go straight from the plants, pull out the key nutrients and the key things driving the texture, flavor, mouthfeel, all of those things we care about um, and combine them in a way
0: that's much more sustainable. Before we kind of talk on the process of, of doing that and creating that, I, I think it's one of the things that's, that's interesting to me is that a lot of people, like it's either the, the planet concerns, the environmental concerns, or the morality around kind of the factory farming. Is there a piece of this that people gloss over that you think they should be more aware of? Like, yeah, the, the cows are producing methane and it's taking a lot of land. Um, is that the biggest issue?
1: It's kind of a combination of so many different things. And I think people are still, because they love what they eat, want to pretend that it's not making the impact it's having. We have so many initiatives, and that's from individual-based to, I'd say, policy-based. We talk a lot about climate change and transportation and energy and how that needs to change. On just climate change, animal agriculture is as big or bigger of an impact. And you have all of the land use, which goes back to all of that land, could be carbon sequestering and be brought back to native rainforest or grasslands and be going in the positive direction. If we just eliminated animal agriculture right now, we would start reversing climate change because all of that land would be able to sequester. And that dream that we think of, of just that fantasy land is actually possible if we start making these shifts. And one of the other big areas is is water and the health of our our waters and our streams. And that's being really destroyed by animal agriculture as well. So it's kind of on every single front. This is the major corporate thing that's destroying how how we're living for ourselves and other creatures. And why don't we go and fix it? Um, And that's what I I think as a a scientist, that's amazing to be able to do is say, here's the biggest problem that our world faces. Now can I use my skills to find a solution and use technology for the better for everybody?
0: The water one's really interesting because in, in the US, we treat water like just like abundance, like freely abundant resource. Like no one has any respect for how much water they're drinking, how much water they're consuming and how, how little of it we, uh, we actually have.
1: Yeah. And we might talk about things like Let's use less ourselves. The biggest area we use it is the food choices we make. Uh, so, so a lot of these things we talk about are the day to day things that seem like, oh, I can make this difference. The difference, just making the choice of what you're feeding yourself or your family, one meal at a time, is the biggest difference we can have on the planet.
0: What is it like? One, like one pound of beef is like a hundred, like a thousand gallons of water or something.
1: Close to that. Yeah. I think I usually go back to that energy conversion where 94% of the energy going into making a cow is lost. And so that's on the metric on the water thing, all of the water that had to be used to create those grains to feed it. And then of course the, the cow growing up as well
0: for anyone kind of looking at this problem, it's pretty clear like, okay, yeah, we should, we need to definitely do something about our, our consumption choices. What does it actually look like to develop um, an alternative to this that, that gets people kind of excited and willing to kind of change their behavior?
1: Yeah, so we took approach to say, it's a conversation, but really the difference is providing the solution. And so the, the solution here is making delicious meat. And making delicious meat is very feasible and doable. And so for us, that approach was really going down and asking what makes meat, meat? What are each of the things that drive the sensory experience that we care about? What drives that juicy chew down? Uh, What drives that umami flavor? What drives that beef flavors? Uh, what are each of the components that drive that? And so I'm a biochemist. A lot of us are kind of go down to the molecular level and ask what are the things that are driving those sensory experience and then look to plants for those exact same components or ones that have very similar properties. And we weren't surprised that you can find all those things because what does a cow do all day? It goes and eats plants. And so we're just going back and pulling those same identical molecules, and combining them in a process to bring out each of those key sensory experiences. And so that's really what we're, we're doing with what we've done with ground beef, pork, sausage, and really kind of the whole landscape is what we're working on.
0: Yeah, can you tell me what's with the experimentation that you did early on to kind of get get a beef patty that kind of actually tasted and felt and smelled like, like an actual animal based meat product. So I, I was reading like, you did some experimentation for like the di- different types of oils to get the, the fatty texture. Um, and then there was, you know, one key insight around, around heme, which I think seems to be the, the breakthrough. Um, can you talk about some of those things?
1: Yeah, so when you kind of go and break the components down, what meat is made out of is lots of proteins, certain fats, and key nutrients. And so in there, trying to figure out what the properties of those are that drive it. And so where I started my work is really on the, the flavor side and making the discovery that heme is what drives meat flavor. And we did not know that before. And what heme is, is a kind of coordinated molecule that holds iron. And iron is essential For life. Uh, Heme is also what makes our blood red and allows us to breathe. And it's essential in plants as well. And so what we identified is this molecule in its raw state tastes like blood. It's metallic. Um, it, it, It tastes just like maybe like for me as a soccer player. So maybe a soccer ball getting hit in your face and some blood. It's exactly that flavor. And if you take that heme and you put other essential amino acids and vitamins and some fats and you cook it, like you'd cook your burger, you get an explosion of flavor. That is where all the meat flavor is created. And you get those kind of sweet caramelized notes, your roasted notes, your beef notes, and that's simply heme and those nutrients and cooked. And we focused first on kind of beef, And trying to understand what that flavor combination to create that. However, that system is what creates your pork flavor, your chicken flavor, even your fish flavor is changing the ratio and the nutrient composition of that. So that's really the central flavor basis for it. The other aspects that's really important is the texture. So how do we get that? And that's really driving into the proteins and and then the fats. And so we've explored hundreds of different proteins and the ways you process those proteins to bring the the chew down, the handling properties that you need, the the mouthfeel. And fat is a great one because it's texture in terms of the mouthfeel and allowing juiciness, but it's also actually the carrier for flavor. So getting the the flavor right requires you getting the fat and the fat release correct. And so you have a burger, it, it cooks up, you'll have the fat sizzle out. That's also essential for the flavor generation. And then when you bite it, you get all these juices releasing, and that fat carries all of those delicious flavors the heme created straight to your tongue. So it's really this interplay of figuring out each of those elements and then how they come together.
0: What does the process look like for, for this experimentation that y'all are doing? I'm trying to imagine like having all these different possible combinations and how you act, like how do you actually go about testing it and combining things and, and kind of arriving at the the final product?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to start like where we're in our lab and in our lab, we have a lot of analytical instruments. These instruments are actually quite similar to what you'd use in medicine to understand how each things are, what are each of the components in it? And we have Uh, gas chromatograms, which can identify all of the aroma compounds in a food. And so we will put a sample in there, cook it up and be able to see what's in there. At the same time, actually, you can kind of separate out those aromas. You can actually have people smell them to identify what are those essential aromas that drive the flavor and what is, how is it created? And so that's kind of understanding we start, I'd say with meat what makes meat and identify those key flavor elements. Cause then we can go and try to find what are the things and plants that are driving it. We can use the same instruments to now say, okay, how does this chromatogram, which is this like each peak for aroma, how does that compare to our sample that we just created? And we'll compare multiple of them and how does that create those? So that's kind of like on the early stage flavor to do. And then the next thing is we made that mix. It looks great from an analytical standpoint, but at the end of the day, what matters is what goes on in the mouth. So then we will have individuals taste that. And we usually start with ourselves who is a very trained group of individuals and narrow that scope a little bit. And then if we start being like, this looks interesting, we have trained panels of under hundreds of hours of figuring out and really descriptive analysis of those and they'll help us along the way. And so that's kind of the early work on the the flavor we'll do with some analytics and sensory. And say, now let's take that and we actually want to make a prototype. This is like, actually make the meat. We need the the texture side. So maybe we've identified a few of the the key proteins that we we need. Uh, We'll do a lot of texture analysis. So then again, comparing what the meat texture is to these replicas of different protein combinations and different processes. Now we have these kind of key elements and we come to our kitchen and we start taking these natural ingredients and start recombining them. And there's three steps to make them like the heme. We need a way to produce that. But once we kind of have these key ingredients, it's actually quite simple, the combination of these ingredients. And it's really taking them and mixing them and combining them in the right way. Um, And once we've made, say we've made 10 of them, we'll go and again, analyze them in different ways, as well as do the sensory aspect. And again, that sensory aspect is key. And after multiple rounds and maybe hundreds or thousands of prototypes, we'll start getting to that better optimum um, and, and we'll pull consumers in. So we do, probably one to two consumer tests a week with hundreds of consumers on our different prototypes. So this simple answer is we try to understand things at a molecular level from the analytical side, kind of define some of the elements we care about, come to the kitchen, combine these ingredients together and rapidly prototype doing sensory. And the more we can do that, the better we can get. To me, one of the key things is, Beef, a cow isn't really changing much. And it really doesn't have the ability to evolve. We can go and make a hundred prototypes in a day and we can evolve. And so we can continue to get better. And when I think of the future, it's that we can make meat much more delicious than beef, of course, and all the the other benefits too.
0: Yeah. What what might that look like? Because if you, you get the point where, you know, the the Impossible Burger is on par with the meat burger. You have the ability to kind of take it to the next level. So, so is, can you tell me a little bit more about your, your thinking there? Is this, you know, make it more nutrient dense? Like,
1: it, it, it's kind of the, the space is endless. So, you can say we right now need to get the consumer mentally shifting and provide the products to get them there, which is really recreating the products they love. Once you get to that point, we have all the levers to be able to make it more nutritious, make it maybe more umami, or maybe there's certain characteristics that people really like on the flavor side, or maybe you like a mix of different meat flavors all in one. Those are all on the table. And so it's just, it's fun to think about that. We don't have to be limited to your pork flavor, your chicken flavor, and your beef flavor. You could have all these other flavors. And I think it's still hard for us to comprehend what that is, but there is thousands of flavors that make what each of these are. And we can go and change those and the proportions or how juicy is it or the chew down. The options are kind of endless right now. It's really getting the consumer convinced that they get what they want from the products.
0: How are you all thinking about this process of transforming the the way that consumers think about their, the meat they're consuming?
1: It's of multiple levels. For me, obviously, it starts kind of at the product and how do I make that product experience what they want? And the product experience, we talk a lot about the flavor and the texture, but it also matters How well does it handle? Can they use it in all their favorite dishes? Uh, Is it the chefs? Can they do everything they they want? And so all of those elements matter. And we we try to take those into account. And that's kind of, you'd say, the back end of it. And we try to, and then there's the communication. How do we get consumers to be eating this and, and all the things? And so a key area is how do people eat meat? and in what formats. So some is going to the grocery store and buying a pack of ground meat and taking it home. So we need to make sure we're there. Um, And that was really a key focus this year was really having retail be really strong. People also go to their favorite restaurants. That might be a Michelin star, that might be uh, a Burger King or a Starbucks and everything in between. And so how do we meet the consumer where they are? And we provide each of these established restaurants, what they're used to using to be able to make those delicious meals, and so it's all of the above is how we really meet the consumer.
0: It's cool to see over the last year, y'all show up everywhere. I'm walking down the street in in Manhattan, I see the kind of plant based alternatives. So, so it's cool um, to, to now see that. It seems like there there's some kind of breakthrough that y'all had in the last maybe two or three years where you kind of landed on the product that resonated with consumers and then have been able to shift to kind of getting it to market and, and getting it in the hands of, of people. Is that kind of an accurate way of looking at it?
1: Yes. So in 2016, we launched our first product and that was our version 1.0. And it was great to kind of test the market and see where things were, but it was, it needed improvement. And so, yeah, two years ago, we launched our 2.0 version. And it, it shows also in our process of innovating, you sometimes need to try to fix one thing and you end up needing to fix it all and it makes it much better. So the key initiative there was our first product would not grill. And so we needed a product that would grill to really be able to change the space and go into retail. So we started kind of from the ground up, how do we create that product? And in that process, we made something that much better texture, much better flavor. It handles just like meat and the nutritions are better as well. Um, And it was able to scale faster. And so that's really was that kind of breakthrough to to make that modification and and be able to kind of continue to scale. Another key piece is just us continuing to scale and get partners. So co-packer partners to really push on those levers as well. And the speed at which we're we're hiring growing right now is tremendous so that we can continue to not just do this on this one product, but how do we really eliminate animal agriculture? We need the gamut. Uh, Ground meat is a part of it, but that's only a fraction of of it. We need the whole cuts. We need the dairy platform. You you need the fish. You you need it all. Um, And so that's really the where we're going and the, the future for us and, and kind of the, the next few years.
0: Yeah. What, what is it going to look like to replace like whole cuts, right? Because if you're going to replace all animal products by 2035, like people love steaks. It seems like ground beef or ground meat products are pretty easy You to toss them in kind of a giant vat and you combine all the ingredients and you mix it together and then you kind of funnel it out into, into packaging. But the assembly of like steaks If you can talk about this, like, how is that going to happen? How's that going to work?
1: Yeah, I can give a kind of a high level, but there's still details being figured out and things we're doing. But one of the key parts to whole muscle tissue is really like the tensile strength. You have proteins that are held together in a way to give that structure. And so what are the properties of those particular proteins you need? And then what is the process to give that longevity and that strength of the connection that's really a key focus is how do you do that and then we can use kind of also our platform of the things in the ground meat the flavor system those need to be changed some but it's still the same fundamentals heme is what drives meat flavor from your steak your ground beef so we can really utilize that on the fat side you still need your release. You need a lot of the same characteristics. You might need to structure it a little bit differently, but it's still using that platform. So it's really kind of on the putting these pieces then together to be, to be able to, to make that breakthrough. So we, we will do it and probably hopefully in the near term because that really makes a big step forward because in terms of the, the cow. That's a big part of really taking that, that cow down and, of course, getting the consumers really everything that they love to eat.
0: How do you think about the space holistically? Because there, there, there are companies that are trying to do this, kind of taking a different approach, which is growing meat in a lab and then using that to produce all the kind of meat products. Like, how, how do you kind of contrast the approach at Impossible with the approach of some of these other companies that are trying to do the, the lab-grown meat?
1: Yet Impossible's approach is really from the plants, and saying our primary food source and the primary source is the plants. So that is going to be the most efficient way to do it and most sustainable. Just if you think of just the conversion factors that are going on, and to us, we've already proven to ourselves that that is possible because those same components are there, and you need to combine them. And if that's the most efficient and sustainable way, then that is the way to really make that difference. However, for us, we are really mission-based and there is so much meat that's consumed and that meat needs to be converted to more sustainable ways. So multiple companies and multiple different fashions needs to happen. And when I think of what I'm probably one of the things I'm most proud of is not just what I've done in Impossible, but Impossible was at the forefront of getting people to realize this issue. And that to me is what's kind of really groundbreaking. It is the fact that people now realize that animals need to be replaced as a food system. And it's not only good for our planet and good for our consumers, it's a big money maker too. And so the things kind of, go hand in hand and that needs to continue and impossible. We want to be at that forefront and there needs to be a lot of other companies taking lots of different approaches.
0: What got you excited about joining impossible early on, right? Before, before the product was in the market, you had Dr. Dr. Brown, if I recall correctly, kind of with this impossible vision for the future and you joined pretty early. What did you see and kind of what, what, personally got you excited about this mission?
1: I joined Impossible over nine years ago, kind of now, and what got me was the mission. For me, my, my goal has always been, how do I protect biodiversity? I actually started off as a field biologist in my earliest career, thinking that's what was going to make the difference. And I was like, that's not big enough. And so I went and got my degree in biochemistry. And that's how I met Pat Brown. And to me, it was the perfect combination. The mission and the sustainability that I cared about and what I wanted to put my energy into, using my expertise in, in how to understand systems and deconvolute it. And under all of that, my main hobby and passion is just food. And so that skill I just can combine with my biochemistry. To make this difference and so that's kind of why i joined and that is is an amazing man and so when i met him it was clear he's one of the most brilliant scientists and he has a heart of gold and so when you meet those people you're like i want to be doing that and and figuring out that solution with you even to this day that we're, we've grown it still really comes back to the mission we make our decisions based on how to make that difference. And it's hard, but we're still really optimistic that we need to do it. It's, it's not really a choice. It's figuring out how.
0: How do you think about the healthiness of the impossible burgers and, and what made people, what do people not understand that may be useless for them to, to have clarified?
1: I guess the first way I'll think about it is really from what is like nutrition. And that kind of goes to the fundamentals of you have certain proteins You have different fats, you have different vitamins and that's what makes up your, your different foods. And so when we think about that in your protein space, there's quality and quantity, certain amino acids, your essential amino acids, and how much of that. And we think about all of that and we have all of our essential amino acids. We have lots of proteins because meat's the highest source on the fat side. You can think of different makeups of the fatty acids and the compositions of those triglycerides. And again, those, that composition, you don't want to have huge amounts of your saturated fats. You want to have a nice balance of different fats. We make sure we have that um, and the saturated fat being less than the animal counterparts to keep making it healthier. And then on the nutrition side, what are the key vitamins that you need? And one of the key vitamins that humans need is iron. An essential form of iron is heme. And so we make sure we have that because that's also driving our flavor, but that really key is a key nutrient. And then you have your B vitamins, your zincs, that's all within that form. And, and so at that level, we can look and compare and we make sure that we're equal or better than the animal part on all of those key nutrients. And the other part that people sometimes go to is just, it's processed. And I like to just say process is how you've created nutrition from the beginning. If you're growing vegetables, that's process. If you're cleaning the dirt off and you're cutting it or steaming your carrots or your broccoli, that's process. And that can be helpful in bringing out key nutrients. Same thing with what we're doing with the impossible meat. How do we make sure we have the nutrients of most available and in enough form to deliver that nutritious taste so that we actually consume it as well. The meat industry and animal ag has done a very good job trying to hide that they have a lot of process in making their meat. You could say the process goes all the way back to how they raise the cows and the hormones, the antibiotics that they put, the feedstocks that they choose to the whole process that they use to make that particular product. Um, And then, In ingredients, you might see just the one ingredient that says cow, but does that include all of the things that I don't even wanna talk about that's in the fecal material, hormones, antibiotics, all of those things are in there as well. And so it's more of a hidden process or hidden things that you might not wanna know about, but process itself is not a bad thing. It's how you actually bring out nutrients um, from the plant kingdom.
0: I think as more people start to understand like, oh, there's actually more going on here than just the the single ingredient, the the more they're likely going to be willing to kind of evaluate different, different options. Like, oh, I'd rather know what's in my food entirely with impossible versus something else. I'm curious for for you, what are you excited about for the future?
1: When I think of what our key goal is, and we say animals take up, animal agriculture more than 50% of our, our land is being used well what does that we get that land back what are we doing with that and we want to give it back to nature what is the process of giving it back to nature and what can that look like so that whole being optimistic and saying okay we've we've eliminated them now how do we really bring that back and let nature be its course can we help in any way or is it just letting it be And how do we keep setting that stage? And I think from a human standpoint as well, us connecting with nature, then it becomes easier because instead of going by a cattle field, you see this nice forest and you can go into that forest and go take a nice picnic. And that's much more rewarding. And then that connection probably is a nice cycle to continue this type of kind of cherishing our, earth and how do we continue to build technologies that take that into account then thinking technology is a way to I don't know separate ourselves like reconnecting in those ways I think is, is really key and when I think of the I don't know utopian place that we should be able to get to that's what I think about
0: we seem to be creating technology for technology's sake instead of using technologies as, as a means to the ultimate end of human thriving and flourishing. Like my favorite example is everyone, like, there's a lot of people who are like, Oh, let's, we can't build in the physical world. So let's go build a virtual worlds, and then we'll all have everything better in VR. It's like, wait, no, no, we don't need to be like, let's, let's take that energy and go build things in the actual world. Instead of trying to like switch into this, uh, this, this virtual world, That seems to be better only because of the fact it's unencumbered by bureaucracy and it's like easier to build there's less friction.
1: To me, it is really how do we think of that future as being what we want it to be? You remind me of like lots of future movies of futuristic and they seem very dim and not how I'd want to be my future. And so how do we think in that optimistic way of what do we want our future to look like? And let's actually build the technology to drive that. And humans want to connect. Humans want to be in nature, doing things, and we have the opportunity to do that. Um, and I think forefront of that is changing our way of eating to give us back our land.
0: Where can people kind of find you, and how can they support? How can they support the mission of Impossible Foods? So to
1: support the mission. The number one thing is thinking about your food choices and what are different options that you can take. Of course, we love Impossible. There are other options too, but Impossible. I would say probably the easiest is go to your grocery store, pick up a brick of ground meat, and use it in your favorite dish, um, and maybe share it with somebody and see the conversation starter as well. Uh, you can also go to most of your, a lot of your favorite restaurants as well. Um, And they have it on the menu and to support restaurants right now, they need to get that support um, as they're coming back online. And so that's a key thing as well. My favorite one I have to say is I just love the the Starbucks breakfast patty. That's my (laughs) kind of side one that I love to eat. So that's an option. And of course, when I think back to one of the early fun days was launching with, with Burger King and making sure to close that and really reach people at different places. So that's kind of the first lens. The, the second lens is then, can you make actually a difference beyond the eating habits and really start contributing to that mission itself? We're hiring hunt hundreds of people this year. So if you want t- to join at different parts, reach out, look at our website uh, from the science side to the marketing side. And then again, this is a big mission. So think of what your talents are and what how does that fit in? And to think how, how to connect to that. Is that joining a company? Is that doing something your own? Is that right snap in the middle of this mission? Or is it something that connects to that mission? Because again, this is a huge industry that needs to be recreated and rethought about. So there's so many different work streams that come into that.
0: Celeste, that's what I got. Thank you so much for, for coming on Build the Future and sharing sharing your vision for for the future uh, at Impossible Foods.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a wonderful conversation.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Build the Future podcast. If you're building and want to get support, want to hear about certain topics or hear from certain people, shoot us over an email to hello at buildthefuturepodcast.com or follow me, Cameron, on Twitter at Cam Huisi, and we'll see what we can make happen. That's it from us. Until next time, go build.